You're listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ, taken from the weekly homilies of interim pastor Michael Lansman. Thank you for the reading. Good morning. It's great to see you all here. Last week, we well, we've been doing this sermon series called uh, called What's the Point? And last week we talked about how we turn to sorrow when we turn our hearts to something uh, other than God. And we looked at the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 22. And we saw how he's renewing the importance of what's written. He's reorienting their ethos around the love of God and the love of neighbor rather than meticulous law-keeping. And he's retraining them how to interpret the Torah in light of all of this. And then we took those three R's, which I didn't make up, which I stole totally from a, a Christian philosopher named Jamie Smith, but he talks about renew, reorient, and retrain. Renew, reorient, and retrain. And we talked about last week how we are renewed when we come to church, when we worship, and particularly when we come before the Lord's table. We talked about how we are reoriented when we hear the word of the Lord, and when we keep it, and when we obey it, and when we do it. And then we talked about how corporate worship is meant to retrain our hearts. So why we are here is we're constantly in need of, of our hearts being retrained to walk how God has asked us to walk and to do what God has called us to do. And then we also talked about how we're not just coming, coming here to show devotion and we're not just coming here out of obedience. We're here to worship because when the divine encounters a human, God is remaking us and he's remolding us from the top down. So when we are here, when we are worship, when we are gathered together, God is at work in us, he's doing something. He's massaging our hearts as we hear the word and as we come before his table. So today what we're going to do is talk about worship in particular, about what worship does. I'm just going to reread very quickly the portion from Matthew 23, 1 to 12. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not called to be rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what I'd like you to do is put a pin in that reading, because we're going to come back to it, like we've been doing a little bit later on um, in the sermon today. So when I was a kid... And I know you love my autobiographical stories, right? <laughs> so I'm going to keep telling them to you. When I was a kid, there was this movie that I loved to watch. I loved this movie. There was one part that was kind of scary because there was like this weird wolf guy. It was called The Never-Ending Story. Never-Ending Story. It's about this really nerdy bookworm kid, which is probably why I liked it so much because I was like, oh, that's me. Oh, 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 no. I didn't get bullied too much. That was great, but... I grew up and got tall and big, so that was okay. But for a time, I was the nerdy bookworm kid. And what happens is, is he steals this book from a bookstore after this gruff old man tells him he's not ready for this kind of book. So the kid steals it. He runs to school, locks himself up in the attic of the school, and he starts to read this book. 
And something really weird starts to happen as he's reading this book. In the process of reading the never-ending story, he actually gets drawn into the story itself. He becomes a character of the ongoing story that's unfolding on the page as he's reading it. So in the process of reading this book, he goes from merely reading the story to becoming a part of the story. He becomes an actor in the story. He becomes a participant in the story that's going on in the pages of the book he's sitting there reading. It's kind of trippy. You have to go see it. And there's this part where he, in the, when the story where he can actually kind of see into the world of what he's reading and what he's, what he's experiencing. And I, I really liked that analogy because it, it really describes for us what's happening in the Christian life, what happens when we are called as worshipers of God. And I think it, it's a nice little illustration of what worship does. So the first thing worship does, and this is from the late great theologian, his name was Robert Weber, he said that worship does God's story. Worship does God's story. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, I don't know, I've had this experience, we sometimes take the Bible as a book of, I don't know, systematics, right? We kind of try and figure out how all the verses fit together in a particular way so we can have a particular understanding of God in this area and a particular understanding of God in this area and in this area. This is what God says about sin. This is what God says about salvation. This is what God says about healing. This is what God says about church. This is what God says about evil spiritual forces. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that approach. But with that approach, brothers and sisters, I think we've lost this idea that the Bible is also a divine story. It's a story. It's multiple stories, different books across time, different cultures and different authors, that's telling one grand story. Right? The story begins where? In the garden. And interestingly, where does the story end? Well, end, because we're still in it, but where does the story end? In Revelation, in another garden. In another garden. So the story begins in a garden, and the story will end in a garden. We are part of God's divine story, which is something that's ongoing, which is something that just because the pages of Scripture are done doesn't mean that God isn't calling us to participate in what he's doing on behalf of healing and renewing and saving the world. We are part of God's story. There's an Anglican theologian named N.T. Wright who he divides up the biblical story into five acts. Creation, the fall, Israel, Jesus Christ, and the church. So he takes the whole Bible and he says, Scripture sort of falls into these sort of five categories. We have creation. Humanity is introduced and we get the problem of sin with the fall. And then God is restoring and renewing through his call to Israel to become the people of God. And then the culmination of that in Jesus Christ, the incarnation where God, the word, unites with humanity and walks among us as one of us. And through his death and resurrection, we are united to God. And then the last act is the church. That's where we find ourselves, brothers and sisters, in that story as part of God's ongoing story. The story that we're not just reading about on the pages of our Bible, but the story that we're actually a part of when we go to work. The story that we're a part of when we see our kids, the story that we're part of when we visit our family, the story that we're part of when we're sitting at home reading a book, we are part of the unfolding story of God's saving acts in the world and for the world. The second thing worship does is worship remembers the past. 
Well, what past? Well, the, the past worship remembers is God's saving acts in history. And the way we remember God's saving acts in history is by reciting them. By reciting them or by hearing them spoken, right? That's where preaching comes in. That's why whenever we do communion, we, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in one God, the Father. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. We are reciting what God has done. We are remembering what God has done in Christ to save us. And then also, we are reenacting as well. And reenactment, we see this prefigured, right, with the Hebrew sacrificial systems, with the incense and the sacrifices. And go read Leviticus and Numbers sometime. It'll blow your mind. It's, it's you're like, wow, this is, this is really detailed. But we reenact here on Sundays as well. We reenact the, sacrifi- the sacrifice of Christ when we come to the Lord's table with communion. We are reenacting what he has done for us. And this is also why we have a church calendar, right? Because in the church calendar, we are reminding ourselves that we are part of God's story, that we're entering into God's story, that we're continuing on as part of God's story. That's why we divide up time the way we do. Because worship also, interestingly, marks off time, too. The third thing worship does is worship anticipates the future. Worship connects God's work in the past with his coming kingdom. So it's not just enough to remember the past. We're also, when we worship, anticipating the future about what is coming. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about how God's kingdom, Jesus brings God's kingdom to earth. He begins it. He ushers it in because he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. It's here and now, but in a way, we're also still waiting for the culmination of it. We're still waiting for the kingdom to come in its fullness. And that's where the story is, brothers and sisters. That's where we are now. We're in that story. As God is bringing his kingdom to earth, we are participating with him. We are his ambassadors. St. Paul says that God is making his appeal to the world through us. And as his ambassadors, what we're proclaiming is become reconciled to God. Weber says this, when worship anticipates the future, it looks for the culmination of all God's works in the complete transformation of the world, the consummation of God's work in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, whereby worship witnesses to the victory of Christ over all the powers and principalities, and it proclaims that he rules over all creation as Lord of the universe. As Lord of the universe. going back to that reading that we had in Matthew about the Pharisees. Now, before we, I don't think we should judge the Pharisees too harshly. When I was younger, I used to read scripture. I'm like, oh, those Pharisees, they were really horrible. There was nothing good about them. I can't stand those Pharisees. They were the worst. But when you get a little older and you get a little wiser, you know that sometimes people can kind of rub you the wrong way. But as you kind of talk to them and kind of get to know them, you can actually kind of see where they're coming from. And once you can see where they're coming from, it kind of helps you empathize with them a little bit. I'm not saying they were right, but it helps us to, to empathize with them a little bit. Because when we think of the Pharisees and the scribes, they thought that they're being faithful to the Torah, to the law. They thought by what they were doing that they were being faithful witnesses 
that they were worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is consistently trying to show them that they've kind of lost the plot, that they've kind of lost the plot. And the Pharisees wind up in the Gospel of Matthew offering worship that doesn't enter into God's story, that's not quite remembering the past because they become focused on the minutia of Torah keeping rather than what the law points them to, do justice, love mercy, the prophets say, and walk humbly with your God. They fall into this, do what I say, not what I do. They're unwilling to perform the acts of service and obedience that they themselves are telling other people to do. Have you ever had that experience? Not even as a parent, maybe in the workplace, maybe with a loved one, something like that, where maybe you had training in a job or something, and they're like, this is how I want you to do it. And then the supervisor or the boss goes and does something completely different. Right? I mean, and this happens in ministry, too. Oftentimes, preachers will get up, and they'll rail against a specific sin, and they'll say, this sin is the worst sin of all the sins, only to find themselves ensnared in the very things that they're preaching against. Do as I say, not as I do. And then also pride. Pride is a struggle for us that that leads us away from true worship. When we have this attitude of do what I say, not what I do, and then when we fall into pride, we kind of remove ourselves from God's story. We make ourselves vessels that can't, come alongside and do what God has asked us to do. Because when you fall into pride, brothers and sisters, what you wind up doing is, is you place yourself at the center of of life. You place yourself at the center of everything. And worship in church is always constantly calling us back to this. And this is just as much for me as it is for everybody gathered here today. But when we worship, we are reorienting our hearts because we have to understand that we are not the reason why we live. If we are Christ's, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God, and we are his. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be a saint, is to be set apart for God's purposes. That's why when we read in the scriptures, things that are holy are washed and then set apart for use in worship, right? And as Christians, we are washed and set apart for God's work and for worship, because it's no longer about us and our, our desires and what we want to do, but what God is calling us to do in his story for his act of salvation, and he's calling us to help spread throughout a world that he's in the process of redeeming and restoring. And then, as we heard in the reading, St. Paul says that the word of God, that they heard, that they accepted it, Not as the word of men, but what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in in them. And so when we come to worship, God, through his word, through his table, through worship, he is at work in our hearts. He is helping us to understand that it's not about us. It's not about us. That we are called to become part of what God is doing for the world, on behalf of the world, to renew and redeem the world. And I think it's, and I didn't have this in my notes, it just popped in my head right now, but I, I think about when I was younger. There's a certain way of reading the Bible where we think that God, some, some Christians read the Bible and they say God's coming to destroy the world. Right? He's coming to burn it up 
a select group are going to be taken away, the world's going to be destroyed, and then we're going to come back and everything's going to be great again. But that's not quite so. When we read the story, we see that God, through Christ, what Christ has done, he's renewing and he's restoring fallen creation. That he's not getting rid of it, but within creation, he acts through Jesus Christ, and then as followers of Christ, we are also at work in creation, through creation, becoming part of God's mission, God's plan, to redeem and to renew and to restore a fallen world. And to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion's Stone United Church of Christ. We're located in beautiful Northampton, Pennsylvania, and we'd love for you to come worship with us. You can find us on the internet, www.zionsstoneucc.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC. God bless. Thanks for listening.